for those of you who are visitors, we've been going through a series called Who Do You Think You Are? And, um, and if you like, the underlying theme to the series is that we should know the truth about our identity in Christ and that the truth would set us free. And a lot of this, uh, a lot of these statements are based around what we did a couple of years ago uh, with freedom in Christ. And there were lots of statements. Um, I've put them up before. I'm not going to put them up today. Um, but today, I'm basing what I'm bringing around two statements from the Freedom in Christ course. The first one is, I am a citizen of heaven. Uh, and that is from Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 20. And if, Philippians, if you don't know, just in case you don't know, if you're a visitor, but the Apostle Paul wrote many letters to some of the churches, and he wrote a letter to a church in Philippi. And, uh, and this is something that comes from that. His letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 3, verse 20. And he also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. This is the letter to the Ephesians, and it's chapter 2, verse 6. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And that's the truth about us. You're a citizen of heaven. If you've come to know Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven, and you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You know, we live in an increasingly tribal and sectarian society. You know, across the whole world, there's been a rise, I think, in nationalism, political parties that promote, if you like, the indigenous population. Uh, it's often described as populism, and populist parties have seen an increase in their vote. That's true here, it's true in the USA, it's true in Germany, Austria, Italy, and more recently in Spain. There's a rise in nationalism. There's a rise in trying to promote the nationality that you're a part of. You know, and in the Middle East and sometimes in Africa and, and South American nations, sometimes with their nationalism, there, there's been violence and sometimes tribal conflict in certain parts of the world. So there's a rise of, in, in nationalism, a rise in people trying to take hold of their own nationality and make something big out of it. And it's against this kind of secular backdrop that we're taught by Scripture that our citizenship and our place of abode is primarily in heaven. Primarily in heaven. And if we don't know this basic fundamental truth, then we risk being ensnared by a worldly nationalism and tribalism that, uh, that seems to be spreading like a cancer amongst different people groups, and all of whom these people groups the Lord gave his life for, so that they could turn to him and become one in him. God's desire is that we are one people in him, that we become a nation in him, not that we should be all kind of promoting our own nation to the exclusion of other people and not caring about other people. That's not the heart of the God that we know and love. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God wants all people, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And Satan, on the other hand, loves to bring division, to set one people group against another. 
People set against each other are unlikely to seek the blessings of Christ for each other. People set against each other are unlikely to seek the blessings of Christ for each other. I wonder how many of us read the story of Shamima Begum and our first thoughts were, Lord, she needs to know you. Would you do a work of salvation in that lady's life? Or was it, what a cheek. She left the UK to join ISIS and now she wants to come back. You made your bed, lady. You lie in it. How many of us thought that when we read the story of Shamima Begum? What do you think is the response the Lord would want? We can so easily get ensnared in populist, nationalist thinking. I'm glad Jesus doesn't say to me, you made your bed, you lie in it. Aren't you? He didn't say that to me. That's not what Jesus said to me. He didn't say, you made your bed, you lie in it. But so easily we can get ensnared in kind of the world's thinking and see the things going on around us and start to treat people differently from how the Lord would have us treat them. In scriptures, we see that our identity is no longer first and foremost in our earthly nationality. Now, there's nothing wrong in our earthly nationality. And if I watch a football match with England playing Spain, I'm still going to be cheering for England. And that's fine. Yeah? Or whichever nation you happen to come from. But our, that's not our first and foremost identity. Our first and foremost identity now is in our heavenly citizenship. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, and there's, I'm reading verses 8 to 10 and then 13 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He didn't make his home in a city with a fine palace. He was quite a wealthy man. He could have probably built himself um, a good place to live. But he didn't want to do that because he didn't see that that nationality, that identity was as important as being one with whom God had made a promise. That was more important to him. That His identity as being someone that God had made a promise with was more important. And he chose to live in tents rather than in some fine palace somewhere. And then a bit further on, in 13, it says this. All these people were still living by faith. This is the people that, that, that had died and, um, and things had happened to them because of their faith in God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners 
and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, we are living in a city that God has prepared for us. One day it won't be by faith. One day we will actually be in the city that God has prepared for us. But at the moment, it's by faith. A city that he has designed, and it's in the heavenly realms. You know, in Hebrews 13, it goes on a bit later from this to speak about Jesus being crucified outside of the city. And, and there was a sort of a sense that being outside the city was a shameful place to be. You didn't want to be outside the city. You wanted to be inside the city. But it says that Jesus wasn't ashamed to be taken outside the city. And in the same way, we're not to regard our earthly city as our enduring home. It's only temporary. We are looking for a city that is to come. Our hearts and our lives are directed towards a place that we are entering into by faith. Not that, of course, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that we don't care for our city. In fact, Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says we are to pray for the prosperity of our city. Because if it prospers, it says we too will prosper. So it's good to be concerned about our city. It's fine that we want to pray for our city. We want it to be blessed. We want to live amongst it and be good news and be salt and light. But it doesn't mean that we should regard it as permanent or enduring. One day it will be brought to an end, or we will be brought to an end, whichever comes first. And we will then be in the eternal city, and that will be all that will remain one day, will be the eternal city. So Philippians 3.20 makes it plain that our true citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 2.19, it says you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We're, foreign, we're foreigners and strangers to this world, but we're no longer foreigners and strangers to God and to his people. We're to regard ourselves, just as Abraham did, as foreigners and strangers to this world. The values of this world, the way this world does things without Christ. But we're not foreigners and strangers to God. Now, we should remember that in these days, citizenship, Roman citizenship, carried a high standing. To be a Roman citizen was highly prized. 
There's a story in Acts 22 when Paul is put in chains and he's about to be flogged. And Paul asks the soldier, is it lawful to flog a Roman citizen? And the soldier was really scared. He just thought, I'm going to do, I could be doing something here that's illegal. And he went and saw the commander. He said, he says he's a Roman citizen. No. Yeah. He's a Roman citizen. Flipping heck. What are we going to do? And they went up and then he spoke to the, 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 the centurion went up to Paul and said, so you're a Roman citizen. Yeah. I paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. How much did you pay? He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. I paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. How much did you pay? And Paul said, I was born a Roman citizen. That was his standing. That was his citizenship. Roman citizenship was so prized that the soldier was prepared to pay money to become a Roman citizen. Now, I've not researched it. I don't know whether that was a... Um, whether there was a set price or whether it was how much you were prepared to sort of, you know, bung somebody to, you know, get Roman citizen. I don't know how it worked, but you could. You could pay money to become a Roman citizen because it was so prized. Roman citizenship was not open to all, you know. Women couldn't be Roman citizens. Slaves. I think freedmen, if they were to pay enough, might have been able to. I don't know. But you couldn't, not everybody was a Roman citizen. But being a Roman citizen carried many advantages, rights, and privileges, as we've just seen. Paul couldn't be flogged. He had a right to a trial. He also had a right to appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. Everybody, if you're a Roman citizen, you had certain rights. There were certain things that you could not have done or certain things that you could do because you were a Roman citizen. It was highly prized. But despite that, Paul points to our heavenly citizenship. He had a greater citizenship, a citizenship that was open to all. It's open to women. It's op it was open to slaves. It was open to freedmen. It was open to barbarians. It was open to anyone who would turn to Jesus, just as it is today. It's open to anyone. So, by faith, we believe that our true identity, our true dwelling place, our true city, our true citizenship is in heaven. And we should be those who reject any notion that raises our earthly citizenship so high that we alienate ourselves from others whose earthly citizenship is in a different country but whom the Father desires should share in our true citizenship in heaven. We should see people as those that God wants to save. We should see people as those whom God loves, whatever nationality they're from. And I'd say we need to guard our hearts and minds against the stuff that we sometimes see on Facebook and things like that that seek to alienate us from others and see them as less than lost people 
that Christ died for. It's so easy to get taken in by some of the things that we, we see on Facebook and things like that. But we have a different identity. We have a different citizenship. Now, the second part of the identity statements that I gave at the beginning is that I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And here, perhaps, we can begin to get an understanding of some of the benefits and blessings of being a citizen of heaven. In Ephesians 1, it says that that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, the theological words of that are resurrection, ascension, and session. Christ was resurrected. He was dead. He was brought back to life. He was resurrected. He ascended into heaven. We know that he was seen by many people after he rose from the dead. Uh, for 40 days he was seen. Over 500 people saw him. And then he ascended up into heaven. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father above all things. Seated, session means being seated. You know, a court is in session when the judge is sitting down. Session means seated. And so Jesus has been resurrected, he's been raised, ascended into heaven, and he's now seated. But Ephesians 2 says of us, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's amazing you think Jesus was raised from the dead, raised up to heaven, and is sat at the right hand of the Father. But boy, isn't it amazing that we are as well. We've been raised. We've been lifted up to heaven. We're sat at the right hand of the Father with Christ. We've been brought back from, to life from the dead, raised up in, with Christ into, a new heavenly, into the heavenly places, and we're sat with Christ on the throne, sharing in his power and authority. You know, Christ is far above all rule, authority, and power in this age and in any age. And God has placed everything under his feet and made him head over everything for the church. M made him head over everything for the church. You know, the, the words, if I go back where it says, That power, the words that power, pre, in the previous sentence it talked about that, um, that we would know the power of God. 
we would know the incomparable great power of God. And then it goes on to say, that power that we should know is the same as the mighty strength. So that's the power we're talking about, that we would know the power that has raised Christ from the dead. So we are those who sit in a place of authority. 1 Corinthians 6 says that one day we will judge the world and the angels. 1 Corinthians 6 says that one day we will judge the world and the angels. I can't comprehend that. And probably neither can you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But that's what it says. But what I can comprehend is that we are high and above. We're not down and below. You know, we're not under the circumstances. We're not under the weather. Oh, I feel a bit under the weather. But I'm doing all right under the circumstances. You're not under the circumstances. You're high above everything, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We're not under those things. We're not under the law. We're not under the judgment of God. We're not under anything. We're high and lifted up and seated with Christ. The only thing I can find that we're under is we're under grace and there are times when we're under trials. We're not under circumstances. We're not under the weather. We're under grace. But there may be times that we're under trial and James says that we should count it a joy when we face trials. Strange bloke. He says we should count it a joy when we are when we face trials because trials produce perseverance and perseverance under trials is rewarded by a crown of life. But we're most definitely not under the circumstances. Are there any circumstances that you feel you are under at the moment? Because we can pray for you that you'll know the truth. And do you need to ask for help in facing a trial or something you need? We will support you by prayer and in practical ways. And so, Georgie, in a moment, we're going to pray with you. But there may be others that want prayer. for very practical things that you feel you're facing and you need support. That's right. It's good and right that we should do that as the body of Christ together, that we should bear one another's burdens. We should, we should uh, strengthen and encourage one another. As citizens of heaven, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are over all with Christ. Jesus is ruling and reigning. Whatever your circumstances, Jesus is still ruling and reigning. Jesus is ruling and reigning. A Roman citizen had many rights and privileges. My UK passport, I had a look at it yesterday. It says that I am to be afforded freedom to pass without let or hindrance and afforded such assistance and protection as may be necessary. That's what 
I'm allowed as a, as a, as a UK... I'm not sure if we are citizens in the UK. I think we might be subjects, but I'm not sure. Someone might clarify that for me. But anyway, but whatever we are in the UK, those are the blessings and benefits of being UK subjects. But our heavenly citizenship says God has prepared a place for us. God has seated us high in the heavenly places and given us authority and power. This is not a, I'm going to grip my teeth, I'm sorry I've been feeling like I'm under the... No, don't feel bad. It's not to get, make you feel bad. It's to open your eyes and think, actually, the Scriptures say I'm high. The Scriptures say I'm with God. Whatever is going on around me, and whatever's going on around you, is going on around you. There's not denying that. It's not sticking our head in the sand and pretending there aren't things around us. But actually, by faith, we can choose to believe that God is in control. But I am high. I'm, in, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. But like any citizenship, generally, you can only come in through birth. I know that you can come in sometimes through joint nationality. And as we saw in that example, that story, someone bought their Roman citizenship. But by and large, you come into citizenship through birth. Paul was born a Roman citizen. I was born British, but I was born again into the kingdom of God. And I want to ask, have you been born again? There may be someone here, people here, who have not yet been born again into the kingdom of God. And we can lead you in a prayer to God to be born again of the Spirit of God and become a follower of Jesus. So if there's anybody who thinks, I'm not sure that I've ever actually asked Jesus into my life. I know I, I've come to church, but I'm not sure if I've ever asked Jesus into my life. Then there's an opportunity today to say, I want to be born again into the kingdom of God and become a citizen of heaven and be sat at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. And know that my sins are forgiven. And know that the power of death has been broken, as we've been singing in many of those songs. So I want us to pray. And we're going to pray for one another. Okay, we're going to pray for one another. So firstly, I just want to ask, if you could just bow your heads a moment.